When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Jen. I love watching horror movies. I also have PTSD and I go to a lot of therapy. I'm Lara. I have anxiety and depression and love having this shit scared out of me. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm Mike. I'm a therapist and I love riffing on horror movies. We love watching horror movies. We love them for how much they scare us and for how much they help us. Because we love talking about mental health, a.k.a. how crazy we are, and the role <laughs> the horror genre can play in our wellness and self-care, we've started a brand new podcast called Psycho Analysis. Each episode, we'll talk about a movie and how it relates to a different topic in the mental health field. Our episodes drop every other Thursday starting on July 9th on the Consequence Podcast Network. Listen to find out how, how horror can, can heal. heal. <laughs> Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host for today, Editor in Chief Michael Monroeville Mall Hoffman. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, your, a, I'm a little worried this is becoming my Rock and Randall. Um, yeah, I was right about to say that. <laughs> I know it, it'll, it's going to happen, and then uh, you know, it'll just roll down the line. Someone else will have a, a hardened name. Well, I'm excited because you know we're not in Monroeville Mall, but uh, like the shoppers in Monroeville Mall, we have uh, a bag. Um, and those, these bags are not filled with goodies uh, from JCPenney <laughs> or the gun shop where Steven gets his bullets. They are from goodies. They're filled with a bag of bones. And I don't mean Pierce Brosnan's Ooh. bag of bones. Uh, I mean questions, <laughs> your questions. You submitted them to us, the losers, and we are going to answer them. Uh, we got a lot of them. And because this episode is coming out on June 19th, 19, we know that number, right? <gasps> We are going to answer 19 questions. And you know what? I think we're just going to stick to the model of that going forward. So, hey, you got 19 questions, every bag of bones episode. I think that's good. We're sticking on, we're, st- we're staying on brand. Uh, but hey, I already introduced myself. Let's introduce another member of the Losers Club here in Chicago. Uh, I believe he's all the way out uh, west. And I, and I don't mean that too uh, mean. Out but. west. <laughs> <laughs> I think anything beyond Western is like the far, it's like the, it's like living in Brooklyn or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, hey, this is Rockin' Randall DeVore Burn. Uh, does anybody get the reference? Is that from Bag of Bones? Yeah. Oh. Uh, there's a character named Maddie DeVore. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, so that was my Bag of Bones reference. Uh, hey, it's good to be here. Um, you know, I'm excited to answer some questions and, and just have a good time because, you know what? Life's a little hard right now. Yeah, yeah. You could, <laughs> you could say that again. Um. <laughs> Life's a little hard right now. Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not doing the day coming together. Um, well, hey, look, we're it, life is hard, but we're all here in this together. Um, and we have another loser here in Chicago that's on this episode. Uh, please introduce yourself. <laughs> this is Mackenzie, the questions Gerber. <laughs> that's right. We're answering God. your questions today. Uh, thrilled to be here. Uh, I am not. I'm. I'm more the north side. Where as uh, I'm not in the west. Although I'd like to be in the wild west uh, <laughs> right now with Randall, rocking Randall. We we probably get up to some nonsense. We we rob some saloons and uh, maybe have a campfire and yeah. talk about your questions. Man, what a what a dream. Red Dead uh, Red Dead Redemption Randall um, could be. <laughs> Red Dead Randall. <laughs> or Maver- Maverick Red Mac. Red Dead Randall. Maverick Mac. Um, anyway. Uh, Mad, hey. Ma- Mad Mel. Mad Mel Mac. Mad, Mad Mac. Maverick. Uh, well, let's all get on our horses like uh, the city slickers we are and uh, head on and mosey on down <laughs> to Nashville, Tennessee to visit the fourth loser here on this episode. Please introduce yourself and say a Yahoo. Hey. <laughs> Yahoo. That's not how we say it, Danny. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeehaw. <laughs> I have uh, to leave Nashville now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is Jen Maximum Overdrive Adams. Oh. I forgot to think of a nickname, and so I just looked at the first words that I locked <laughs> on the screen. So there you go. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, if you uh, didn't know, uh, constant listeners, Maximum Overdrive was uh, adapted from the story Trucks. Um, <laughs> That's true. Which is a uh, which is originally in uh, Night Shift, one of uh, our go-to books uh. that uh, is a, a guide in our guide to Stephen King. Um, Truck, trucks was also adapted for TV in the late '90s, and it's it's such hard garbage. Garbage, like, really. Holy fuck! Well, Timothy Busfield. Timothy Busfield. Oh uh, yeah, it does have Busfield, so that helps. The real hero oh. of uh, First Kid, Disney's First Kid. Um, <laughs> he's the villain. I know. In it. He's, he's a kidnapper. He's awful, and he's sweaty, and he looks hey. like a cokehead. Uh, you know. Anyway, the hero on Westwood. Not Busfield. Uh, well, hey, you said it's a it's a it's garbage, but you put garbage in a bag, and a bag of bones is what we will open, and we are going <laughs> to open opening it right now. Uh, Nineteen questions, and our first one is from Connor O'Malley. No, I'm just joking. It's uh, Connor Henderson. <laughs> wish it was Connor. O'Malley. I wish it was Connor. H- Can you imagine if Connor O'Malley was a, a re- listener, just be like, Ah, God, are you losers? What you, what, what's your favorite book? Oh, I like the Joker. Um, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> Connor Henderson asks, how many more books do you think Stephen King has left in him? And how many do you think will feature Holly Gibney? Do you think any of his future <laughs> books will be influenced by the current pandemic? Well, those are two questions there, Connor. But I guess we could answer both. Um, who wants to take this one first? I can go. Go for I it. Think he's, I think he's got three. I'm just kidding. It would be funny <laughs> if I had an exact number. Uh, no, I think he's got plenty left in him. Uh, he... he I will say that it, there is some evidence of him slowing down a little bit and the fact that he's been co-writing a lot of things like mm-hmm. Gwendy's Button Box with Richard Chismar, Sleeping Beauties with his son, um, you know, Owen. And 
And obviously him and Joe Hill have collaborated on some novellas together as well as some other things. And so it's, you know, I do think that he's slowing down a little bit, but, you know, as old as he is, he he just wrote, you know, 10 episodes of, or however many episodes of Lisey's story there is. Mm-hmm. And he's also still cranking out novels and novellas like crazy. So, you know, I think like even his slow output for his age is still epic for, I think, and like prolific by the standards of a lot of other writers. So yeah. I think it may slow down a little bit, but... It seems like he's in really good health these days, and uh, and you know he's he still has that drive to keep mm-hmm. writing. And and I they mentioned will they feature Holly Gibney? And I think like as much as we kind of bag on Holly a little bit on the pod, like he does seem invigorated by her. Yeah. And I think you know that's good if if he finds this character that he and maybe that's like a source of you know that makes the writing maybe a little bit easier as he's getting older. Is like having is like making the series all devoted to this one character and sort of writing these procedurals. You know, I think that that's something that maybe uh, I think we're definitely going to see more. Holly. I mean, mm-hmm. I think she's going to get her own novel eventually if, if he already isn't working on it. Um, so yeah, I think he's got plenty left in him. And then in terms of the future books will be influenced by the current pandemic, I absolutely think that yes, because he's, especially as he's, I mean, he's always had a lot of pop culture references and historical references in a lot of his works, but, you know, he's gotten very, in his last few books, he's very big on mentioning sort of the current climate. Mm-hmm. Um, he writes about, he doesn't write, you know, aggressively about Trump, but Trump, like uh, the world under Trump sort of colors a lot of his work, especially the Institute and Ele- oh, excuse me, Elevation, and, um, and then also, uh, you know, what's the name the if it bleeds like the kind of world under trump sort of has influenced oh those and i think it's i think it's sort of hard to uh you know separate like him from the especially these days i think and i think a lot of it has to do with twitter too honestly like social media yeah because he's he's i think a lot more connected to a lot of this news now and as we see on twitter he is very vocal about a lot Mm -hmm. of it and he likes to put himself not in the middle of it but he loves to comment on things and criticize certain things and so i think the fact that he's you know online as much as he is and being bombarded by as much as he is news wise i think we're absolutely gonna that's why we're seeing sort of the way that um this is all coloring things and you know and like I said, he's always you know he's always been timely and relevant in his work. But I think that uh, I mean I wouldn't be surprised if we got a pandemic novel out of him. So I agree, I agree. What do yeah, you? What, uh, what Randall said. Oh, it's <laughs> well. I was gonna go to you, Mac. Uh, do you? What do you? How do you envision a king pandemic? Oh well, well. Let me address the first question. Uh, I think he's got one left in him. <laughs> no. And I think it's absolutely a Holly Gibney novel. Oh no. <laughs> And I think it's going to be about the pandemic. I, <laughs> you know, nice. it, it could be. It, it, honestly, like, I feel like Holly tackles the reality of the world more so than any of his other characters. And, all right, you know, <laughs> no, but I, th- no, I do, though. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 but like, I mean, if you think about it, like, they, he referenced, like, I mean, Pulse Nightclub and If It Bleeds, which is kind of, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, like I can't. I mean, uh, he's referenced like nine eleven and stuff like that in his books and stuff. But like, well, that's interesting though. Yeah, I, I if you, in that sense, yeah, and and I I definitely think that he will write something about the pandemic. It might not be like a nail on the head, but I think it'll it'd be a story that happens, something that he's thought that about that no one else has thought about that that could have happened during the pandemic or been exacerbated mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Jen, you've read all his works and you love Holly, so. 
you know, That's true. go wild. What do you think is going to happen? I do love Holly. Well, first, it's it, I don't like this question. I love you, Connor. You're awesome. But um, it always scares me to think about like what his last book is going to be. And I have like standing orders for no one ever to get me anything that has an image with every book on it because I am afraid that's going to jinx things and he's going to die and not write another one. Um, so I think he's got 20,000 books left in him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, I think he, he I, honestly, I think he's going to die writing. You know, I think yeah. as long as he is physically able to write, he's going to keep going. And I think that there are probably who knows how many he has saved up. Speaking of bag of bones, like how many acorns he's got, you know, mm-hmm. that are going to come out after he's um, not with us anymore. Um, I would love for him to write one or two more Holly books. Um, I, I love Holly, especially now. I didn't always love her. Um, but I think he's kind of figured out who she is. And I would love to see him kind of explore that more. But I do not want an entire series of, I don't want the Holly Chronicles. Yeah. Um, like when I look at like Alan Pangborn, I feel like that was as much as I would like a lot more of Alan content. Like I never got sick of him, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't yeah. want to get tired of Holly. Um, and I think. Um, about the pandemic. I definitely think that he's going to be writing about it because he has to be because he just is such a writer of the moment. And so like the um, Sleeping Beauties was, I think, supposedly influenced by some of the political climate that was going on when he wrote it. But if you didn't read the introduction to it, you wouldn't know. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see how he's going to write about it. Because like you were saying, I think it's going to be something completely out of left field that like works because it's like the underlying how the characters are feeling rather than, hey, we're all trapped in our houses, you know? Exactly. I mean, what's interesting is that when he talked to uh, Anthony Bresnikan, I'm pretty sure it was this piece. Um, It was either for If It Bleeds or for the one that when he just did the stand he mentioned that he has a, a book that he's like writing and f- like kind of finishing at the moment. So really? I wonder, I doubt that has to do with the pandemic just because clearly, I mean with him, his average tends to be at least like four or five months. So like I can't imagine he had started something in March and already finished it. Um, mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if he had jotted down some notes. And as we've seen on Twitter, he has like so many different ideas that he keeps just even throwing around. And one of which we'll get to in a little bit, but uh yeah, I mean, for me, it's fun. It's funny that you mentioned being scared of like finding out that he died. Like when you texted me when I was out for a walk, Jen, and mm. it just said "fuck King," like, and <laughs> oh. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and I was like, "What does that mean?" And it was, like, and, then, and then I opened it up and I was like, "Oh, okay, it was a misspell on the thing," and you just uh, you're you're agitated at the spell check. But I thought for a second it oh, was yeah. like it was like, "Oh no, King," and um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I was like, "Oh my god!" But no, no, it was it was. It was a minor five-second scare that I had. So um, <laughs> anyway. Well, how nervous were we in 2019? Oh, I know. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, or even in like, I, I mean, I for the scare of King being dead, like for me, I we've talked about this on the podcast before, but like the van accident, I was pretty, I wasn't really positive about that. I, I thought that he was a goner. Um, thought that was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, th- I know I know Justin said that that was, he felt that was the same. Um when it happened just because that was something that I, I, re- I vividly remember us talking about that. I think it was for like the anniversary episode or something like that, maybe last year or something. But um, anyway, let's move on um, because it's your nickname, Jen. I think you got to read the hey. next question from Brian. All right. Okay. From Brian King only directed one movie, maximum overdrive. 
let's say he made another one and it is one that currently exists. So for example, Frank Darabont's The Mist. You are in charge of yanking that movie out of existence and replacing it with a different version directed by King, <laughs> but with no guarantee <laughs> that it would be one bit better than Maximum Overdrive. What do you choose? Now it doesn't <laughs> specify if this would be coked up King. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. Now. We have to assume we only know yeah, we his direction to, under as coping. Okay. King. So. Yeah, I it was agree, part yeah. of his process. <laughs> um, okay, my answer. <laughs> should I go first? Yeah, go for yes. it. Go for it. Yeah. I I had a hard time with this. Um, I'm going to say the Carrie remake with um, mm. Julianne Moore and um, Chloe Grace Moretz, mostly because I hate that movie and I want to yank it out of existence. But I think that it <laughs> would be interesting. Um, to see what he does with that, you know? And I mean, that's like kind of would be like the very beginning of his career, kind of an interesting look at the story that started everything and how he feels about it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'll jump in. I got one. I, I, I have like two answers. One is a joke, but also not um, <laughs> is at pupil just so we could get Brian Singer away from from King because Brian Singer is a, is a very bad boy. Um, and so, uh, and, and at pupil was apparently where kind of some of his more predatory, uh, behaviors like really started cause he was really young then. And mm. there was a lot of, uh, nude boys on set. So I think that Jeez. that would, that would be my one answer. But then I also, I think my more serious answer would be a movie like children of the corn because it's so different from the source material, and I think it is, like, tremendously bad. Um, I find the Children of the Corn movie to be unbearably boring. So I think uh, get a little cocaine king in there, bring in the, the, the you know, the man who walks behind the rose, like, as it exists sort of in the story. Uh, I just want, like, a more faithful version of Children of the Corn hmm. to the story um, in a feature film directed by Cocaine King. Those are really, man, those are really good. I love the idea of that, people. And I'm stealing it and co-signing it. It's happening. We're making the movie. Um, sorry, I got G2 on the mind. But uh, I, yeah, that's, like, that's, that's kind of like the best, most holistic, um, spir- spiritually aligned answer I could think of with this. To be, like, you kind of set a watermark <laughs> with that one because it's the most morally sound thing. It's like me going, like, if I say anything else now, it's just like, well, what, what's wrong with him replacing Brian Singer? Um, so why, you know, and, and on, I'll, I'll build on that. Let's say King does do, uh, he does do uh, at pupil. Uh, so that's what, 97, 98? Okay. Uh, at the time, yeah, yeah. He, he knocks it out of the park. Cocaine King or not, he, he, <laughs> he kills it. And, and all of a sudden, Fox is like, look, we like what he did. Uh, you know, Brad Renfro, um, Brad Renfro learns a lot from King. He, he, uh, he perseveres. He, 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 uh, he joins King's X-Men due out in theaters Ooh. in 2000. <laughs> Stephen King writing and directing X-Men. And he goes on from there and we get an amazing. No, 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 no. You're getting out. <laughs> anyway, but that's my answer. Mac, you go. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, I, Randall, I commend you. I think that that is a very great, I think well thought out. Uh, pick, I would do the lawnmower man. Uh. Oh, because to get a more faithful version of the lawnmower man and cocaine. King, oh yeah, it, I just I it would be the most nuts, crazy fucking movie I think we've ever seen. I mean, uh, how do you make that movie 
I, I think you can only make it with King and a little Coke. Well, here I have a question <laughs> for you, Mac. Not a little bit. Does he play the lawnmower man and it's like Jordy Verl? No. Absol- oh, yeah. Yeah. Green pubes and everything. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, hey, you know, it works. Um, speaking of short stories, Mac, why don't you read the next one from Sean? From Sean Donahue. Which of King's short stories do you believe have the most potential for a full novel? Hmm. Ooh, I could I could go with this one. I, um, yeah, okay, go for it. I, I think, honestly, I love the brevity of it, and I think the brevity actually adds to the impact, but I would kind of love, I would have loved, actually, if Last Strong on the Ladder would have been the fourth novella in uh, different seasons. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I think it would have been amazing different yes. seasons no, uh, novella, and would have been really effective at the end and would have aligned I think a little bit more with the rest of the stories as opposed to the breathing method which he clearly wrote specifically for it that was kind of like his last one so um that's my answer but um Mac Mm. what what were you gonna say yeah I I was honestly gonna say that I think it's 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 also one of those things where but I love that about those short stories where you want more yeah because it's like I'm glad we didn't get more because I think it's Mm -hmm. perfect but I, I can definitely see that becoming a, a longer uh, a novel for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a, a side of King that I think it's just straight drama. You know, there's no real fantastic element to it. And I think it would be a really cool to see that. It, it doesn't feel like a Bachman book. It feels like a King book. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. But it would be interesting to see him write that. Um what about you? Know, maybe it's just because we're coming off of all these other books like, you know, Gerald's Game and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's true. It, 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 it does more, feel more, more straight, straight laced. Like, yeah. Uh, Randall. Um, I got a few that I think would be good. Um, and I might have discussed them on a previous one just because uh, these are short stories. I, I, they're my favorite ones or some of my favorite ones. But I think Mrs. Todd's Shortcut um, mm. has enough sort of odd Fuck, yeah. odd quirks and sort of <laughs> unex... I don't know. And the, the, what's great about it is that it's unexplored. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like you said, Mike, like the brevity is part of what makes it so freaky and yeah. weird. And, and um, but I do think that there's a lot of potential for the human relationship to develop in that because that sent that core relationship between um uh you know the woman and and then the kind of local is uh is a really complex and interesting one and i think that there's actually you know i would want more space to allow that to flourish and mm-hmm. and then allow and, and so keep the mystery around the shortcuts mm-hmm. but also like i think that there's so many cool effects and uh uh i don't know immersive kind of uh visual sort of um uh, tricks that you could incorporate into that that would uh, I guess I'm thinking about it as a movie now but I could also like see it as a book too because there's mm-hmm. just I feel like there's just so much to unpack there and then also mm-hmm. I was thinking about um uh, I am the doorway from yeah. night shift uh mm. just such a good one of his few you know I, not he has a handful but like you know a good sci-fi story that I think is is really compelling and has such a great ending but then also I think oh, I don't know space yeah. horror is always something I'm always very interested in especially when you when you bring it back to earth you know it's like mm. sp- it's like yeah, uh, species yeah. 2 over here and so um <laughs> so you know Hey, I'm Species 2 Stan. So hey, I um, like Species 2. I saw it in theaters uh, and I was like, what am I watching? This is a softcore porn. Um, yeah, it gets a little <laughs> hot and heavy, but hey, the horror is does. still very good. 
yeah. but yeah, so I guess like I'd love to. I feel like I just feel like there's more to explore in a story like I Am the Doorway, and as well as some sort of cool, um, you know, philosophical and psychological uh, quandaries to dig into. In oh yeah, so, yeah, that's my yeah, thoughts. I, yeah, I love that suggestion. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jen, take us home. I, (laughs) um, yeah, I'm a little conflicted about this one because I just love his short stories and I feel like they're so, so many of them are so perfect. Um, but I would love to see more of grandma. Oh yeah. Favorites. And he hasn't done any witches like that. I can, I, I was trying to think if he had done any before and definitely not any that have been like the focal point of the story. So I would love to see him kind of explore that world a little bit. Um, I love how scary that and like just, unknown that story is and i would hesitate because sometimes when you pull back the mask of the monster it's not scary anymore but i just think that would be really cool um and the other one i was thinking about was uh, everything's eventual because that one has ties to the dark tower universe and i think that would be really interesting to explore and oh. i kind of wished that he had in the dark tower um or kind of well yeah i have more yeah. to say about that maybe for some later yeah, questions but yeah yeah, I was going to say, that's one of the only Dark Tower stories I've not uh, delved Ooh, into yet. But it's so good. I won't spoil I it. I actually, full admission, I, I never knew that was a Dark Tower story. Everything's eventually. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the main character is Dinky Earnshaw. Ah. Who is... Oh. Interesting. I won't spoil. Okay. Well it's, really, it's a really good story. And you wouldn't know it was connected to the Dark Tower until, like, if you hadn't read the Dark Tower series, you might not know it was connected. I everything is eventual is is interesting for me because uh, my uh, godmother who actually is a huge fan of Stephen King and uh, her son is actually uh, uh, Mike Castle who's in uh, Bruce Brothers and married to uh, Lauren Lapkus but huge King fan and she got me a paperback copy of Everything's Eventual once and I remember <laughs> finishing uh, Night Shift or one of the stories some novel late at night it was like maybe two or three in the morning I was like man, I could just keep going. And I like grabbed everything's <laughs> eventual off of my, like my, my nightstand. And I got like five pages in and I was like, eh, all right, it's time for bed. Um, and I, <laughs> I have not picked it up yeah. since. Um, it's not night shift. It's, it's a good long, though. But. It's a long one too. Um, but yeah. well, Hey Randall. Yeah. Are, are you ready to meet the Lord and savior Damien? <laughs> <laughs> Damien Kylie asks, have you ever approached King? Uh, in parentheticals, agent, publisher, whoever, about an interview. I think he owes you guys a big one. Uh, we agree. Yeah. Um, I, it's it's he Can only I? he pretty much only gives interviews to Bresnikin, right? I, I think so. Yeah, unless he you know he does a favor with like McGarris like he did last year, um, which was a which is a darling interview. But I what were you going to say, Matt? Reached out to. Him. I just oh no, we we've we've I there was there was a like Paul Westerberg. Um, for a good five or six years, uh, when I f- first started with the uh, COS, um, I used to email Paul Westerberg's manager every month um, and just be like, hey, is he free? And they'd be like, nope. Um, and for King, I think the first year and a half we were doing this, I'd send uh, Simon Schuster an email um, and they'd be like, he's not going to be doing this in the press tour or whatever, blah, blah. And then when we got... You know, then when we were doing stuff for the Institute and also if it bleeds, I had put in there be like, hey, we're doing promo. Can we get him uh, to talk and uh, no dice? So I don't know if it'll ever happen. I hope it happens. Mm. But you could you could uh, it, six degrees of Kevin Bacon it by saying uh, Bresnikin, honorary loser, talk to King. So technically we've talked to King. No, I'm just joking. But <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I honestly send, Yeah. 
Go for she it. She just sends, uh, you know, birthday cards to Molly. Oh, I know. Aww. Well, hey, I've been... <laughs> and, 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 and he'll just be like, who are these jokers? And then be like, oh, oh. Who are these freaks? Have a, have a who are these people and, stalking my dog? And, and, and just like <laughs> like inadvertently get him interested in who we are. And then in a way that's not invasive, but except for the fact we're sending his dog birthday cards. <laughs> well, I think, um, I, I think he might have actually even muted me because... When we were drunk and we text, we tweet. <laughs> yeah, I used to like, tweet him. Like hassle him for uh, for the mask. I just want to know what his thoughts are on Jim Carrey's The Mask, and he never answered and he never replied. <laughs> so I think that after like the eighth time that I tweeted him, because I have the blue mark and he probably did see it, I'm sure he muted me. There's no fucking way. Yeah, that and, way you know. to blow it. Well, I also you know, feel. You were you were also like just replying to his tweets, just like, "Hey, good tweet, Stephen." I don't like, do that. I, I usually come up with something to say that's that's <laughs> nice. That's not lame. You know, but there are. I'd be like, this guy can fuck off. Yeah, this guy is. This guy's a real herald. Um, But uh, (laughs) well, hey, um, this isn't Brett Gelman, but it is Brett Littman. Um, As you have often. As I was just going to say, I would yeah. love to get King on the pod one day, but um, th- there was a Say by the Bell podcast I used, to, I used to listen to, and the host's whole goal was to get Mark Paul Gossler on. And it was a fairly popular podcast, so I was like, well, she's obviously going to get him on for the mm-hmm. final episode. And it never happened, and it it's, blew my mind that it never happened, because it was like, around he went and did, he was on Fallon and shit doing the character, so I'm like, why not come? But I think that sort of prepared me that, you know, sometimes the, the golden goose remains out mm. of uh, out of one's and grasp. But we are going to, we're gonna still going to try. Well, sometimes it's better, too, because, like, I think of, like, you talking you two to me, which was, like, you know, uh, a big deal and in influence on, on, on us, for sure. Um, I just remember when they finally got you, too, which... I'll be honest with you. I had a hand in, um, but I'm just going to put that out there in the in the public ether. But um, I loved their, that show, but I felt like things weren't the same once they actually talked to the band. Like there was just something mm. that, that, you know, it was still <laughs> funny, but it just it was just like, well, you did it. So now what? Like. Um, mm-hmm. So not. I have an alternate. Are you talking re REM to uh, re me? Well, then they got them they on the pod also, and that was well. I don't think they got Michael. But Stipe, they, fin- but, but like, they, you know, like they finished the, you know, they went through all the albums. There's mm-hmm. nothing left. You know, like what, like it's the same thing. You too. They they talked to you too at the end of their canon. What are they going to go over their live albums? Like no, the, 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 the it's done. Next I know. thing. I know. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I have an alternate thing too, which is like I think one of the benefits of our pod is that we is that we're critical a lot of yeah. King. And mm-hmm. I, I think that once people like if you're just if your whole point of your podcast is like talk to the person or or, um, you know, or even once you get them on, like you, there becomes this pressure to like not criticize, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of people like, you know, may start a podcast because they're like, oh, well, if we just suck up enough, then they'll eventually talk to us because they know we'll say nice things. And uh, and I think but then also you get them on. And you're just like, oh, they're aware of us now. Uh, and they're probably going to listen to future episodes. We can't say anything negative. And also, we met him in person, and he's such a nice guy. We can't say anything negative. You know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing happens, and I, that's why I do think it's good to keep it separate sometimes. So, I mean, if we ever did, I'd want it to be the very last episode of the podcast. Yeah, you know? I agree. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, all, honestly, though, uh, I think that that's the way to go. And, and I think that Stephen King, you know... <laughs> He's got to be aware that people are critical of his work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we love, I mean, but we love his stuff, obviously. I mean, we dedicated, I don't know how many hours to him and his career. I think that it would be something that would be 
good at the very end absolutely but but during it i think yeah you're absolutely right randall i don't think any one of us one of us wants to censor our or feel like oh well i don't really want to say this anymore because we met yeah. the guy or whatever and it successful, is you know what I mean? and yeah. i feel like we absolutely would feel like that so i think it's good to keep the the subject at a distance until uh till very end we can uh, meet meet him well yeah. and we've we've talked about this in previous episodes too but it's like as famous and and as respected and as you know uh, popular as he is, he's still like sensitive about shit. Like he is. I was going to bring that up with the AV Club thing. Like at AV Club, when we gave him, we gave Doctor Sleep like a middling review. Um, he like tweeted about us. He's like, "Well, AV Club never gives me good reviews," and like, and I had just but you given you've given him like, good a reviews. pretty good yeah. review. <laughs> And, like, I write about his shit constantly on that site. Yeah. And it's, like, and that's the thing is, like, even the most famous people, they, they you know, it's, like, well, they didn't like this one thing, so they must hate me. And fuck them, and I'll never talk to them. And that's the joy of having power is, like, you can shit on that. You can sick your followers on the people who don't mm-hmm. like you. And so, anyways, well, that, that leads me to a whole other discussion that I think last time I went on, mm-hmm. I lost us some listeners. We, we so. did, but it's, just, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, you know look, I love him. You know we'll, I love we'll, him. We'll definitely hear you know Stephen King on a podcast. Maybe he'll join uh, and talk about uh, his movie Maximum Overdrive and um, you know <laughs> whatever. But um, <laughs> moving on, uh, Brett Littman says, uh, as you have often discussed, usually in the misery and pound cake sections, some of King's characters or characterizations can be described as cringeworthy. Besides, Rage Kane rose up or anything that heavy. Are there any characters, incidents, or moments that, were you king, you would erase from history out of sheer embarrassment? I'll, I'll say it right now. Just go through some of those earlier uh, you know, books when the only distinguishing factor for most of the female characters are their breast size. Like, that's, I, mm-hmm. I still think, like, I mean, that's literally when been the creation of the pound cake thing. But, like, I feel like that's what we've been for the most part, like critical of over the years. And even I feel like we're starting, we're finally, finally get to a point in his, uh, oeuvre or bibliography, um, <laughs> where he's not doing that as much. Um, but then again, you, we still see it in, in newer, ep, newer books. So I don't know. I, I think that's one mm. of the things that like, you know, I don't think he's ever going to, he's never going to go back to every one of his books and rewrite stuff. But like, there are some really egregious examples of it, especially like if I recall, like in like Salem's lot and like, um, especially yeah. like Carrie and stuff like that. So, but I mean, it was early on. I can't really think of like anything like outwardly crazy off the top of my head though right now. But um, Jen, I can. Oh, yeah, I can too. Oh, go, <laughs> yeah. Jen, you go, uh, Jen, you, you go, go first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I would take out the sewer scene in it. I oh. still cannot believe that that got through an editor. Um, and I say that as somebody who loves Beverly Marsh. Um, and I feel like I know what he was trying to do with that scene, but it just, it reading it right now, is just so cringeworthy. Um, and I also think that there's a lot of jive talking he did with some of his African-American characters oh, yeah. earlier on. Um, oh, yeah. That is just, and I, it's kind of like, it was 40 years ago and I get it, but I think going back and reading it, I'm like, ooh. And I think he tried to kind of make up for that with Jerome, but mm-hmm. it was so clunky the way he did it that it was just like by the third book, it felt like he was like apologizing for what he wrote in Mr. Mercedes. And it just, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. And just to, to add to that, like along with the jive talk, and I remember there specifically being some of that in um, Night Shift and then also in, I believe, Carrie. But there's also the just the general description of black characters kind of leans on stereotypes mm-hmm. sometimes. And I remember in Truck specifically, it just like, 
everybody oh, talked yeah. like a normal person except for the black character who spoke in this really exaggerated um you know it's uh dialect and it was really bizarre and it just kind of stands out and obviously i you know i think it was a product of the time but but yeah there's a i have one like really specific thing um and then just yeah in the broader and then i have some broader things but like i think of the tommy knockers uh you could entirely <laughs> excise um hey, hey. bobby's but what <laughs> i thought you're gonna start trashing tommy <laughs> No, you guys are like you the only what? ones I'm that a, like I'm it. The, I'm the Tommy <laughs> defender on the podcast. Are you kidding? Um, no, I'm saying that I agreed with the the very critical panel that I was on with once upon a time that uh, you could completely cut Bobby's sister from the story uh, mm-hmm. who shows up and basically oh, yeah. serves very, very little purpose and is written to be the most shrill um, one-dimensional, vicious character, um, and she really brings nothing to the plot, uh, you could completely excise her character, and it would, A, make the book shorter, which it needs to be, and also um, just kind of make it a little less uh, insufferable. I think, like, because when Tommy's bad, it's really bad. I, I'm a Tommy defender, but, it, it, you know, when it's bad, it's rough, and, and that whole section with the sister is, is pretty miserable. So that's, like, the one I would absolutely excise because it is embarrassing. Um, but I think though, uh, along with sort of, uh, you know, the early problems when writing black characters and sort of, especially, and then also with women as well. And this is one that hasn't really tapered off, which is the fat phobia that's in a lot of his books and, uh, uh, and even books like thinner where he's directly confronting those sorts of things. He just has this habit. And we talked a lot about this on the thinner episode, but he has this habit of sort of, um, uh, sort of like, I don't know, turning, like people who are overweight into circus sideshows like it's pure horror and -hmm. he describes it in really grotesque means and he sort of like luxuriates in that language and i find it a little bit um gross and it's something that i feel like he he, i feel like he probably doesn't do it as much now but i would i could be wrong but i think even in some of his latest books like within the last several years he's done that and it's Mm -hmm. something that i I just find a little bit gross and, and, you know, he does a lot of times succumb to that idea that, you know, the good people have to be beautiful and the bad people are, you know, physically grotesque. I still um, stand that like that, that has to do with, I think he has body dysmorphia. I honestly do. I I think that if someone's been with it, like for 15, still now, um, never going to get rid of it really. But, uh, I, I feel as if like, I mean, he was uh, a heavy set kid, um, you know, especially early on his career also. I think that there is like a, it's like a demon for him. That's that's actually something I would ask point blank to him uh, if we actually did do an interview. Um, mm. In addition to his uh, his scatta uh, being a scatophile, basically. But um, I <laughs> or is, is it scatophile or you know fecal or whatever? Wait, when they're and into shit? Yeah, he, literally everything he does is talks about shit all the time. So I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't ask him that. But you know. hey, you know who else <laughs> talked about shit all the time? One of the greatest authors that ever lived, James Joyce. Oh wow, James Joyce mm. is pretty good. Um, there are entire. Sec- Sections of Ulysses that are just about shit, yeah. and he and in his letters to his wife, he would talk about shit. He was well, very into shit. Well, hey, maybe I mean, maybe it's a everybody thing. poops. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, one thing, one thing I would get rid of, and I'm not going to go into it too much because we're going to cover it soon. Is the story mm. dedication? Oh yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, you could just cut uh, that also, whole one out. I'd also change. I'd also change the ending to Cooge because. Uh-huh. I'd like Aww. to see some more Cujo. 
get some more Cujo stories out there. Well, you want him to escape? Uh, maybe, maybe he lives. Maybe uh-huh. he lives, and uh, maybe we see him um, changing his ways. Mac, <laughs> I gotta he know his death. how does. So wait, so do you envision it where Donna just like turns around and Cujo's gone? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot now. You gotta be king. Um, <laughs> I imagine. I imagine it where. You know, he comes back one last time to attack them, <laughs> but sees, actually really sees, you know, her like cradling the body of the of the boy after losing the boy. And then he's like, he turns around and like puts his hat on and like walks away. <laughs> he, his he, hat. Realizes, <laughs> he takes <laughs> Camber's hat. He realizes he's, he's done wrong. <laughs> oh, and then, and then maybe we boy. see him like surface in, in Florida and maybe we can get like a little... Shining cross, or maybe Danny could like talk to Cooge, or he like walks. He walks into they, town. They, oh, they open up like a barbecue restaurant down there. Or something. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> I'd like some barbecue right now, to be honest with you. But uh, all right, Randall, you take my the next wife's one. making barbecue right now. I can oh, smell it. What what type of barbecue? Oh, I can smell. I can smell it too. And you know who else can? Cooge. <laughs> He's outside. <laughs> what else? What else is it, baby? It's uh, it's some, it's some pork. Mm. So. Well, hey, it's in the instant pot. We have another Connor, and it's not O'Malley. Oh boy, Connor Kinney asks if King were to write a new, another novel in the Dark Tower universe, but not necessarily focused on the Cotet, What would you like to see more fully explored? Oh, Good Lord. question. Anybody have an answer? Uh, we have some I tower heads for this on one. this. Go for it, Jen. Yeah, I, I don't consider myself a huge tower head, which is partly why I would love to read this book. I would like kind of what I was talking about earlier. I would love to see more um, of everything's eventual and the Hearts and Atlantis tie-ins mm. kind of explored. You know. Um, yeah. What is in the last book in the Dark Tower? I can't remember well, where no, they careful. are. Oh, sorry. There's a place where there are yet. lots. <laughs> Who's not there yet? You guys, have you guys not read well, all of them? We just have to put spoilers because I, well, I know some. Oh, sorry, are, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Be so careful. There are some. Yes. Pardon me. Um, there are some tie-ins with Everything's Eventual and Hearts in Atlantis that I would love to see more fully explored with some side characters that may or may not be played by Anthony Hopkins and Justin Long. Uh, I, hear, mm. I hear you. I hear you. Um, mm. For me, I would actually like uh, an expanded version of... Um, I actually don't even need another novel, per se. Uh, I need a reworked novel. I want him to go back exactly like what he did with The Gunslinger, take a lot of the fat oh in The Dark Tower... Um, put some of the fat on to the song of Susanna, um, which I think is a pretty fun, swift book, as I mentioned in our socials uh, last week, um, a high <laughs> octane <laughs> read. Um, still love it. But I, high my octane. problem, my, my problem with the dark tower is that you could tell that he's, uh, it's like in every type of sports game. He like, he, he just goes ham at the end in that last fourth quarter. And you're just like, by the end, he's kind of like, you know, you know, he's a little saggy there, which is why you get that ending with that literally is like, I think Justin described it as like super Mario brothers too. And it's literally that like <laughs> the, the, the stuff, you know, not spoiling too much, but like the, what happens with a certain villain um, is just ridiculous. I like the actual ultimate ending, but it's just the journey that I feel could actually be parsed out and have the patience that the first few books had. So I don't really need another book. Um, mm-hmm. I just need to have a little bit more distribution there um, for the last two because he definitely mm-hmm. goes. Uh, he he puts the pedal to the metal um, as uh, many of the car- many of the trucks do in Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, Randall, you one, talk because uh, I'm interested to hear your takes on Dark Tower because I never really hear much of Dark Tower from you. 
No, I've read all the Dark Tower and I do love them, but it's it's I'm never on the episodes, although I'd really like to be on the Wizard and Glass one because for a while that was my all time favorite King book. Um, So I think for me, I would and this is um, I don't know, this is an interesting one. And this has some spoilers for book seven and not huge spoilers, but some spoilers for book seven and Insomnia, which is a a book coming Mm. up for us. But um, there is a character in Insomnia that plays a pretty big role in in a book in book seven and i personally and you know that's hinted at in insomnia Mm -hmm. that this character is going to be is going to factor into the dark tower and i remember you know before the seventh book came out there was a lot of feverish speculation over how and uh and i guess for me i i found it rather abrupt the way that we meet that character in the seventh book and i think Mm -hmm. uh for me i would sort of love to see the journey from this character in Insomnia to how he ended up in where he's at in mm-hmm. book seven of the Dark Tower. So I think that's like the story that I would want to see. So if there is another book, I feel like that could be a good side novel. So mm-hmm. I agree. Mac. Uh, for, for me, you know, reading Wind Through the Keyhole was really fun because uh, we haven't gotten to that yet. But there's a lot of side stories and a lot of legends that are told and and just, you know, story upon story. It's a story within a story within a story. Uh, there's a skinwalker story and I kind of wish we had almost like its own and then another novel about that uh, about those those types of creatures or or that kind of world also the there's just the story about the boy or, or the you know I think Merlin takes place in it as well um, I, I, going off and doing stuff like that like exploring midworld you know thousands of years before you know, like some of the gunslinger stuff's been turned into comic books, and some of those things have been explored, and that's cool. Uh, I think that that's the best way to go because there's so it's so rich. This world's so rich, and we, we only see it after it's all gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I'm not huge on prequels, but if you go back like a thousand years or something, I'm all about it. That'd be interesting. Uh, well, Mac, take the next question from uh, <laughs> uh, Jesus's father's name, Joseph. What the fuck? Joseph Taylor writes, what the fuck is a Camry work shirt? I'd never heard of this before, but from reading King, you'd think it was the most popular form of men's clothing. I love this question so much. This is this is honestly like so one of our favorite accounts and uh, and we, we we share it all the time uh, on Instagram. Uh, is Stephen King memes and uh, love them. They're great. Uh, very supportive. Um, awesome guy. Uh, it, you know, the, the account is awesome. Um, but they always bring up the Chambray thing. And I, and I think it's, it's interesting because I looked in my closet actually after seeing this and I have uh, a Chambray shirt. I, I just never wear what it. What is it? It's, it's just, okay. I have a, I have a definition. I have the official definition. Oh, here. Yes, please. Uh, I pr- I'm prepared. Chambray fabric. <laughs> I can't even what? say it. Chambray <laughs> fabric <laughs> refers to a lightweight, plain woven fabric consisting yeah. of white yarns filling out the weft. I don't know what that means. And colored yarns lining the warp. It was initially mm. a fabric made of linen, <laughs> but has since been applied to cotton. Uh, it's. Uh, I think it's essentially like a lighter form of denim, or at least mm. uh, denim is, is sort of its cousin. And it's something that you wear that's tough, but not as heavy as denim. So it's a good mm. work shirt. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> now here's a fun fact. Uh, there's a certain character that... Uh, 
let's say that maybe not in this movie per se uh he does a good impression impersonation of but justin is a really good impersonation of uh this actor and his character in one of the most iconic blockbusters of all time wears uh, a blue chambray shirt so um oh. oh i know what you're referring to yeah mm-hmm. does anyone want- neckerchief yeah he does and uh he's like uh, no tim uh, Mac, you do you do impersonation also. No, Tim. No, Tim. Uh, we're of course talking about uh, Sam Neill, uh, Dead Calm's Sam Neill, who's going to be appearing in Jurassic Park Oblivion or whatever the fuck it's called. Um, he's coming back. He, he's going to fight Where some dinosaurs. Pinhead shows up. I hope he wears his chamber yeah. shirt. I hope he. Yeah, that would be great. But uh, anyway, um, oh, also in Event Horizon, he's just playing his character from from. Uh, <laughs> From not the madness, hunt of the the wilder people. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be great. Was that was that portly kid that I uh, that I taught the other? Way? I do love. I did love that movie. Though, I did too. One of uh, Taika's best. Um, <clears throat> all right, who wants to take Sam? Um, I'll Je- go. Uh, Sam asks if you could have any two or more characters from different books meet up for their own adventure, who would you pick? It doesn't have to make sense in canon. Maybe exploring if any of the multitudes of characters King has, has killed off managed to meet up after they die. Does Stan Uris ever meet Johnny Smith? <laughs> I hope not. Johnny Smith would have something <laughs> to say. Uh, guess what, kid? Uh, you got a harsh reality coming up. Uh, Jen, you, you, he's you, like, I know, and I'm doing it on purpose so <laughs> I can save my friends. <laughs> And I'm going to write a letter that's going to close out this three-hour movie. Right. They'll retcon it 20 like, years later. Oh, okay, kid. Uh, I'm staring yeah. at his mini uh, surprise Funko that I was so happy to get uh, last September. Um, <laughs> oh. Jen, go for it. Well, I think my uh, my real answer would be Charlie, McGee, and Danny. I want them to mm, yeah. meet and fall in love and have little super babies that can just like rule the world with their big hearts and just be kind people, and I think that would be great. Um I would also love um, Bev, Ellie, and Charlie maybe have kind of a Birds of Prey style, like Lady Avenger gang, you know? Um, Also, we could have Christine and (laughs) Buick 8 and the Goblin and the Road Virus kind of like join forces and become some kind of like Sons of Anarchy, like trucker gang, you know? (laughs) And so would King. He's a big Sons fan. That's right, yeah. (laughs) Get Uh. up to some hijinks. That'd be interesting. Um, um, I have an answer. I Go think, like, I think uh, when I think about, you know, I, I, I just reading Needful Things, I kind of loved, even though it wasn't fully explored very well, but I kind of loved near the end when uh, Leland Gaunt sort of a, took the two uh, kind of sub-villains of the book um, and made them his henchmen sort of during the third act of it. And he had these like two dudes who are pretty supremely evil in their own right, uh, kind of doing his bidding. I thought, I, I, I love that dynamic because I love a good, you know, I love my villains and I especially love a good, you know, group of villains. So I think, um, I would love to see sort of Randall flag, uh, you know, if there was a chance that, because I, I think one of my favorite villains from a modern King book, especially, is Junior from Under the Dome, who I find mm. to be supremely evil and um, just kind of like really terrifying and also uh, perverted and, and deceitful and all these things just in, in, in ways that I find really fascinating. And so I kind of love it if a guy like that fell under the, you know, the sway of Randall Flagg, perhaps. Um, 
I think that could be, I think it'd be cool to see what Flag would do with someone like that. Uh, so I'm very interested in maybe seeing some of the great villains from King uh, become henchmen of some of his big bads, you know, be they Leland Gone or Randall Flagg or whoever. Um, so yeah, and obviously uh, Pennywise, we got Henry Bowers being kind of a plaything of Pennywise. So I think uh, in that same sense, I'd love to see some of these other uh, villains kind of play that role. So yeah. yeah. Well, um, hmm. um, go Mac. <laughs> I, I've got one. Yeah, I gotta think. One. Uh, I would like to see a a, a sort of sequel novel with Ben Mears long after the vampires are, are gone mm. where <laughs> he is trying to write about that but in order to write about that he has to get in touch with his darker side mm. and starts to huh. have like his own George Stark come through oh man but in awesome. the process <laughs> he starts seeing George Stark and visions and Thad because Thad's no longer alive and because they all live in that same general area I think it'd be interesting to see kind of like the devil and the angel on the shoulder thing um, while he's trying to write like this, bio, you know, this, you know, this yeah. thing about uh, maybe that version of him would be lot. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, um, uh, oh, hot, to, hot takes over here. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think ben I love Mears, Salem's lot. But. I mean, we talk about Ben Mears a lot. I mean, with regards to him being kind of the staple you know, protagonist, I actually think that would be a really cool redemption for his story because he's, yeah. he's interesting well, at I the end. Just putting some years on him. You know? Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And like maybe Mark Petrie has to be the one that like kind of saves him. Um, oh, oh dead. yeah. Yo, you think Mark's dead? He kills Mark. He <laughs> no. maybe he kills Mark in the in opening. My version character. Mark's dead. <laughs> oh. You know, also, are you still thinking of one, Mike? I am still thinking of one. Yeah. Go for another one. Um, King, is is in this book he writes himself in as he does sometimes he is living on his street and and some houses on his street go up for sale and Cujo oh, no. <laughs> lives in one oh, oh, no. he's <laughs> living in another <laughs> and the cell phones from cell live in another one yeah. and then he has to like confront these these horrors that he's brought into existence and it's a little mm. you know in the mouth of madnessy yeah. I, and then maybe the next year he could write a reverse version of it where the cell phones play Cujo and Cujo plays another character and they interweave, you know, and the covers work together. That would be kind of cool. Well, I just saw like a, a, a weird version of Cujo just made out of cell phones. Like that's the best <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. All right. I got one. It's in fan art. <laughs> um, this is kind of interesting just because I really want um, Ellie Creed to come back because I really want a Pet Cemetery yeah. sequel. Um but I think you could actually have Ellie Creed come back and because she's dealt with so much trauma, um, n- not work with, I mean, you, that, that would be an easy way to bring back uh, Danny Torrance, but I think the best way to, uh, to do it would be is if you bring back Jessie from Gerald's Game um, because she's dealt with, mm. uh, you know, things with, you know, people with trauma and that would be mm-hmm. kind of a unique left field uh, choice to have uh, maybe Jessie uh, be a therapist of sorts uh, for Ellie. Um, and, uh, maybe she's the one that urges her to kind of confront her demons and return her to Ludlow. Um, so yeah, could be be cool. Could be cool. Um, who wants to take the next question? Um, it's this kind of more of a specific, I'll, you know, I'll just take this one just because this is more specific to like the, the booking, but, um, 
Yeah. Ivan Prushnok asks, is there any way you guys could rope Brett and Joe from New Flesh for a Desperation and a Regulators episode? I really enjoyed the Creepshow banner with you boys, and both stories are twisted enough that backup may be necessary. This request could also extend to Rose Matter. Now, Brett Arnold was last on uh, the Creepshow 3 episode from last year, in which we realized about five minutes into the episode that it was a bad idea. Um and that we should never have watched this fucking movie because it's just garbage. And so, but he, having said that, he endured that episode and he is constantly always asking uh, to come back. And that's Randall's con. I mean, that was your friend. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Brett's so, my buddy. He, yeah. he, um, yeah, he messaged. He actually, I, I replied to one of his tweets and he replied with book me on the pod, Randall. So, um, <laughs> so we'll get, we'll get Brett back most definitely. Um, probably not. I mean, his, his thing is film more than books. So I think that, uh, if we got Brett on, it would be for, um, a film episode of some kind. So yeah, that's definitely something that's in the ropes. He could be good for, Hey, maybe good for the newly minted Casper Van Dien vertical of the podcast, uh, which <laughs> oh, we right. launched to great success last great week success. with our discussion of, of, Starship yeah. Troopers Marauder. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, we will absolutely... Starship Troopers 3 Marauder. Thank you. <laughs> we will absolutely get, get Brett back on. Yeah, it, it, it'll be fun. So he's a, he's a, And I've been on his podcast, too. You should... Uh, you can... On the new flesh, I've popped by to discuss things such as... Um, oh, God, what was the last thing I talked about? I don't oh, weren't you on... Um, I think you were on... Uh, can't can't one, wait to listen to it. Was I it know, The right? Lodge? Or was it... Um, no, I wasn't on The Lodge. I was on talking about... Oh, I knew I you were on, you're on It Chapter I was 2. On it, yeah, I was on for It Chapter 2. That's the last yeah. one I was on. And that was really fun. So, yeah. Check out <laughs> It Chapter 2 episode. Um, I blocked it from my mind because I, I hate that movie so much. I know. So. I know. Yeah. It was Last year was a very hard year. I do like... For King Adaptations <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, hey... Um, uh, Jen, do you want to read this next one or, or Mac or which you fight it out? No, uh, I, I think it's been a while since <laughs> you Jen. Can take it back. Mike, you got to start yeah, just no, you got to start I'll, just I'll delegating. Uh, and, right. Andrew <laughs> Fabry writes: This one is perhaps a little too complicated and idiosyncratic, but going for it anyway. Which of Big Steve's <laughs> short <laughs> stories do you think? could get the Robert Altman, Raymond Carver treatment, a la Shortcuts, where you could take several unrelated short stories of Kings, mm. mesh them together, where characters are in each other's stories, basically making an anthology movie into an ensemble instead, like what Castle Rock could have done, but didn't, like mm. the Castle Rock I love our listeners. there at the end. <laughs> um, I'm just going to, I mean, it's safe, it's easy, and it hasn't been, enough of it hasn't been made. Night Shift. Yeah. Mm. All that's there's so much of that stuff that's that feels like it could live in the same universe, but touch upon things that are crazy, you know. Like, I think like gray matter could easily take place in with like I am the doorway, but then maybe someone up the street is dealing with Mr. Bojman. Oh yeah, Boge. like you've got you've got it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of interesting character i mean interesting stories in that because and that's kind of one of the the reasons why i always point to it is like the the first go-to book uh you know as we discussed it that was our patreon episode actually but um i i think that what's interesting about night shift is that so many of the stories actually are pretty grounded and because of that they can exist in a world that you don't have to worry of if, if like all the supernatural stuff aligns and even then they're kind of uh, contained to that 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 story, and the world itself isn't really that too different. I mean, I'm thinking of like, uh, was it a? We always make fun of it, but it's not Strawberry Str- Spring, is it? Uh, the, the, the like the murderer one. Um, yeah, that's oh. Strawberry Spring. Strawberry Spring. Wait, but then, but- 
Yeah. Are you thinking about the one though with the guy who did like black magic? That's that's another one though. But oh, I, that's I, still I know think, what you need. Yeah, yeah and I still so yeah. the, the thing is like I think all those stories could exist in like one uh, narrative. Yeah, like I, the I man agree, with Mac. flowers too. And the man with flowers, yeah, and like even like um, even if you wanted to like put in the last wrong, like that could be something in there too. I mean, the, even the woman in the room, like I think all of those more dramatic stuff actually work well with a lot of the stories that are in there. I mean, you could even put the graveyard shift in there and I don't think that would be too out of its element because you're literally just dealing with like blue collar workers that, um, you know, are dealing with like, you know, a shitty job. So I, I don't know. I can mm-hmm. I think it works, yeah. but, um, who wants to, who wants to take the next one? Uh, how about uh, you? you know what I think? I think there's a Stevie, Stevie loves his killer cars. Am I right? Yeah. So <laughs> I think we get, we get uncle Otto's truck. We get mm. the car from Mrs. Todd shortcut. We get Matt, we get trucks, all the trucks, every single one of them. Uh, we, and then we also fold in, uh, from a Buick eight, Mr. Mercedes truck or car and, uh, Christine. (laughs) (laughs) And then also the minivan that tried to kill Stevie and we pulled them all into one and they, they're all intersecting and we have to stop not just the trucks, but all of them, all the cars. Like uh, Megatron, like a, a car team-up movie. That's right. That would be well, fun. Well, make yeah. it really meta and bring Emilio Estevez as a character. <laughs> I would oh. love that. I know. I would too. I had a huge. I just crush wanted on to him. voice. I just wanted to voice the Goblin truck. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> especially Maybe they if fly it's through like, a cornfield and they say "Flying V" at one point. <laughs> especially if it's just like uh. you know, I was uh, he's it, like all of a sudden like randomly they throw an Easter egg and like the guy's like walking outside and is staring at the trucks and. He hears in the its distance, I used to be a hawk. And you're like, what? And it's like a total <laughs> reference to Mighty Ducks uh, because uh, mm. he was a hawk. But um, Jen, which stories would you <laughs> consider? starts quacking. Yeah. <laughs> quack, quack, quack. I would. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would connect. Okay. <clears throat> so in Nightmares and Dreams, Dreamscapes, there's um, rainy season and you know they got a hell of a band. Mm. And then Children of the Corn and Night Shift. And those are all about these couples who show up to this crazy town and a bunch of nonsense, like crazy monsters happen. So I would love to see like um, frogs attacking he who rocks behind the rose and like Elvis coming out of nowhere and like just all the insanity of all these monsters like attacking each other in this one little town and this couple just trying to like get the hell out of there. I think that would be fun. I think it would be fun, too. You know what I also think would be fun? Next question, especially if you read it, Jen. (laughs) Me? All right. Um, Okay. Ooh, I like this question. If you were going to adapt one King story, but in the found footage style, which would you choose? And I love found footage when it's done well. Um, I would say the Reaper's image which is, I think, mm. in Skeleton Crew. And I think you could do it as an anthology where, like, each of the time period, like, all the people they mentioned in the story, you could get, like, a little vignette of them, like, um, encountering the mirror to say it without spoilers. But. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. Especially because, like, m- mirror horror with found footage, I think, mm-hmm. could be really cool. So, yeah. yeah. I I actually think, uh, not to, di- you know, dip back into Night Shift, but... I actually think like a one for the road would work really well for uh, for found footage. Um, just I'm just thinking. Oh, of yeah. like I'm just thinking mm-hmm. of like um, uh, like even like Hell House LLC, like when they're in the car and then how they lead up and then they, you know, they're finally like 
things are kind of go pandemonium or even like with Blair Witch Project when you're like out in the na- like in nature and you just kind of have like the running like camera shaking. I think it would work really well for the ending, especially since the book itself uh, or not the book, but the story itself uh, kind of deals in like flashes and glimpses of what you're actually seeing. So that would be me. But uh, how about you, Randall? Nice. I would say I love found footage also, Jen. I'm a big proponent of it. And Mm -hmm. honestly, my answer is a little bit informed by an interview I did with Frank Darabont, director of The Shawshank Redemption, obviously, and um, The Mist. But he also uh, was for a while going to adapt The Long Walk. And he has a script. Uh. He had a script in... Or he had a script he was working with, and then also he, um, uh, the way that he told me he wanted to do it, he didn't say too much, but he was very into the idea of he. I think he wanted to modernize it, and he wanted everybody to be wearing GoPros, and so um, he wanted to use a lot of the footage that was directly from uh, the people who were walking, and I think that he didn't want the whole movie oh, to be really found footage, but I do think that. Is if you pivoted, uh, you know, the Bay style between many different sort of cameras. I think if you use the, you know, the media, because like I, I imagine in this sort of future world of of the long walk, you've got like the media cameras, you've got the military's got cameras, um, all the walkers are wearing cameras, and it's all being broadcast mm-hmm. for, you know, um, for the sort of larger. Uh, uh, you know, populace. And I think that that sort of concept could really help hammer home and, and maybe help contextualize in a lot of ways. Um, I guess this, what the, what the long walk represents in larger culture, which is something that is a little hard to convey in the book um, is sort of like, what does it, what does the long walk look like to people who aren't in the walk? Um, and so I think that for me, uh, that would be a cool way to sort of expand upon it. So, and Hey, yeah. maybe they'll incorporate some of that in James Vanderbilt's uh, version that uh, Andre Overdahl is directing. So Ooh. we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Mac, take the next one from camera. I think, um, I kind of wait. Well, wait. Oh, wait. No, no. You got to give your found footage. My found Sorry. Footage. All right. And then take the <laughs> question from camera. Doing something like yeah, I will. I will. Uh, yeah, I will. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Come on. I do. I think that found footage. I think it would be cool to see, not as much like a one of the books, but like um, like let's say like this facility was destroyed, and we go in and we find all these tapes, and it's like tapes from like the shop. Yeah. So we get like bits and pieces of like Firestarter or or like anything or everything that's been through the shop. Golden years kind of like <laughs> comes together, and it's like how did how did this uh, this institution get destroyed? And then you know, obviously it's Charlie. But um, that would be cool. Yeah, I think that would be cool. All right, Cameron Dufresne, <laughs> we've got a question from you, and it's, Andy Dufresne. Uh, I hope so. Uh, uh, it's not Andy, it's but it's uh, Andy's brother <laughs> or sister. I don't know. Cameron could be a female's name as well. Once you've once you've run out of King content, would you consider rebranding the podcast with a different author, the same way you do with Halloweenies? Well, Cameron, we've thought long and hard about this question. In about thirty-five years, <laughs> we might. <laughs> pivot to Koontz. Yeah. We are not Koontz pivoting cast. to Koontz. <laughs> <laughs> when we're like, you know, 60 something years old and they're still pumping out like the archive king, you know, like, oh, here's this book that he didn't publish in t- 1975. Like, you know, yeah. um, yeah, so you I, know what we do, you know what we, you know what we pivot to? 
we just start covering the Halloween movie. Oh, God, again. Because <laughs> you know they'll have like some fucking remake. And then knowing them, they'll probably <laughs> totally, be like, this is a direct totally sequel. abandoning yeah. the whole book aspect. Uh, of I, truly, I truly cannot see far enough in the future uh, to us actually finishing King content. Like, yeah. it's just not something. I think... I think especially in the age of quarantine, when it feels like, you know, none of this is ever going to end. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard for me to consider a time where we've reached that end point with the King, with the Losers Club. So I think uh, I think if we ever did, though, um, I, da- I, I doubt we'd ever rebrand the podcast that way. Um, I mean, it might be interesting, though, if like we if we switch to like. Uh, covering an author who doesn't covering authors who don't have huge because uh, like you know we, we get years of content out of King but yeah. what if we what if we focused on authors who have only published like one or two horror books and we just become like you know focus on those I don't know it's just like mm. like the complete opposite of what the Losers Club is I know. but it's like I just like what other author you could do this with Koontz but he doesn't have the same footprint you know no. it's like mm-hmm. it's like Koontz has published a gazillion books but he's not beloved in the same way that King is you know it's like the- no other author is like Stephen King in no. any way shape I mean the form. closest the, like, the only yeah. the only thing I could think of is like if you did like an Agatha Christie or you did like a, a like R.L. Love, Stein oh Lovecraft mm. R.L. Stein you could because I'm, I'm there are definitely Goosebumps books uh, there are definitely <laughs> Goosebumps pods out there but like do Clive Barker oh yeah there's one called yeah, Teen Clive Barker. it's really good highly recommended but oh, I'm that's thinking cool. of something. I'm thinking of an author that has that, that much of their work has been turned into TV or films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I mean? like something like King, someone like King, and I can't think of Nicholas anybody. Nicholas Sparks, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Or, or or John Grisham. <laughs> Could you imagine Nikki doing Sparks. that? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, uh, wouldn't wouldn't you know it? Uh, this next book is a law drama uh, and a law mm-hmm. thriller. <laughs> right. This one, uh, this one's called The Firm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good. That's the only good book I've read by him, but. Um, yeah. Anyway, just uh, so we can cover Tommy Tommy Cruz. Yeah. Oh God, I love Tommy <laughs> Cruz. Um, I'll take the next one. Uh, uh, Bill Bradley, uh, William M. Bradley. Um, he asks, "Looks like Psy King would like to do his own Jason Voorhees fanfic." Uh, and he uh, shows a link. Uh, shares a link to Movie Web, uh, which is a site I haven't heard in a long time. Um, but uh, he asks, <laughs> nice "What shade other?" There. No, not so shade. Oh, I, it's, that's actually I. I used this to get all my pa- news from there. So. <laughs> no, maybe I should go. Uh, Bill Bradley. I, I, look, I applaud M- movie. Movie web uh, is like Dark Horizons. I, I follow Dark Horizons a lot, uh, and I and, and nobody knows about that site, and because that's from like late '90s. So I applaud you for sticking around. Um, anyway, <laughs> what other film villains or monsters would you like King to tackle, and why? Honestly, when I saw this tweet. I thought, wow, this is great for the Halloweenies and uh, Losers Club, uh, th- you know, crossover there. But I don't really want him to tackle anything. We live in such an era of like exhausted intellectual property that, like, the idea mm-hmm. of having someone that's actually cranking out original stories, which wow, yeah. what a novelty! Like to come back and be like, actually, I'm just going to go and retread something that's already been retread a million times. Like, I don't really know. And honestly, like. I'll talk about it on the pod uh, if we ever do anything with it. But like this idea is uh, not great. Um, so I, I don't really want him t- doing anything uh, with yeah. any other IP. But Jen, what do you think? I don't. Yeah. when Like, OK, so and Maka, you and I talked about this a little bit on the Halloweenies happy hour one day. Like when I think about like Jason and like all of the franchises 
there's no humanity to those the villains which i think is part of what makes them so scary and obviously the exception is freddie but like mm. that's one thing that i love about stephen king and why i didn't really watch a lot of the friday the 13th and halloween stuff growing up because i was so afraid of those characters but like i think king has these villains that are so like alive and really like well developed and I think he doesn't go back to the well on them over and over and over again because he has I feel like he says everything he wants to say with them a lot of times so like I just I don't know I, I don't know what I would want him to do with in, any other franchise you know or really any I mean maybe if he like played around with the Babadook or something that would be interesting but like I think he just <laughs> kind of exists in his own world and I kind of like that you know I've got one I think uh think everybody can agree on if uh, <laughs> if king tackled annabelle oh, oh. no <laughs> i was wrong i apologize son of oh my a god bitch. i'm dying right now if we could bring annabelle into the king universe it'd be the ultimate crossover and then we could get james wan to direct like dead zone mm, nice. <laughs> Oh Lord! Come on, well, well, the good news is that if King does Annabelle, then he can also bring the nun into it. So Ooh, love uh, the nun. I then yes. Doberman would be just you know going nuts. <laughs> wait, 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 wait a second! King adapting me this time? Oh. You know who that's I see Doberman, Doberman as? Yeah, you know who own. I see Doberman as? I see Doberman as Ellis. From Die Hard. Oh Lord. Oh man. I can see I that just Alice. drinking his Listen, coke. Babe, well, we got we got to get Annabelle in here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's doing some coke and he's drinking some coke. Um, hey, Listen, King, cut the crap, okay? Cut the crap, all right? All right. I'm trying to do a deal here. King, We're gonna get Annabelle in Bobby. here. They, uh, it's all they want. They just want Annabelle in one book, okay? Capiche. <laughs> what do you? What about you, Randall? I mean. Oh, I, I think your answer was actually perfect, Mike. I We need more original storytellers yeah. these days. So yeah. I love the idea. I got excited by his tweet about Jason Voorhees only because, um, like, I, well, a couple reasons. A, I do think it's, like, a fun idea, and King writes characters so well that I think it could be kind of neat to um, actually see, like, King's spin on this kind of character, especially because, like, um, you know, he's dabbled with horror, like the classic movie monsters and it and, you know, other books, but he, I've never really seen him do much acknowledgement of sort of the modern horror monsters. And the I idea know. of him intersecting with those was, was like maybe fleetingly exciting to me, but I will say that, uh, also he doesn't do slasher very much, you know? So it's like slashers mm -hmm. aren't really King's bag. And the idea of him sort of dipping his toe into that with a very, you know, the humanist perspective that he has is to me kind of exciting. Um, so I think like in sort of a, uh, like, um, in an animalistic way, I was very drawn to that tweet, a very primal way. But, uh, mm. but yeah, but I think you're right, Mike, in the sense that we should not be encouraging one of America's like you know most gifted original <laughs> storytellers to yeah. start taking up IP. So yeah. Mm. Well, hey, why don't you read uh, Hayden's uh, next question since uh, you're on the mic as already. Sure. Hayden Claiborne, related to Dol Dolores, no doubt, uh, asks, <laughs> do you think Stephen King was actually involved in the JFK assassination and used it as inspiration for 112263? My short just, answer? Yeah. Wait, what? I was going to say, let's just keep it one word answers <laughs> for yeah, this one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then my short answer will be my only answer, and it's yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Who Hot else? <laughs> 
no. <laughs> Ooh, so we got a, we got one yes and one no. What about you, Mac? <laughs> Counterpoint. Cooge. Fair. Cooge did it. Split. Uh, so you think Cooge was involved with JFK, which means that mm. King was involved because uh, King is the maker of Cujo. Um, so that's two for yes. <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, sorry, Jen. I gotta go. Yes, also that he was 16 uh. years old when uh, w- you know one of this country's greatest presidents was uh, gunned down in uh, Dallas, and I have to say he knows too much in 11:22:63. Sorry, King, you're guilty. Um, he is <laughs> went in too far. losers jail. Um, all right. Well, because I'm a Mr. Creep show on this podcast, I'm going to take this next question. Uh, and I have some some thoughts on this. Uh, so Josh Head, um, I believe uh, there's a head that's involved in the first season of Creep Show. Uh, with the announcement of Shudder producing two more seasons of the show, <laughs> what Stephen King story would you like to see in the next season of Creep Show? Bonus, who would you like to see direct star, et cetera, in it? Now, I don't think the second season of Creep Show is going to have a Stephen King story, unfortunately. I don't think so. Uh, but if they do, I, I imagine it's going to be survivor type just because that was originally supposed to be in the first season and they, they pivoted to gray matter. Um, so I, I but, at, but the th- at the same time, I don't really want survivor type because I think our, our pal, uh, Billy Hansen did a great job, uh, with that. So, um, I, I would actually rather go with, uh, something from you guessed it night shift, which I've been talking about mm-hmm. nonstop on this episode. Um, I think the, I think they could definitely, because look, they have to go, pretty uh like low budget with these because they they're they're a turned around really fast um and then b uh they just they don't have the budget for it because they they squeeze in as much as possible for one season um so i think honestly i am the doorway would probably be a really good one for a creep show i think it's cheap enough i think you can do it uh justice uh get a good actor put more money towards the acting (laughs) in there and so i think i'm gonna go with i'm the doorway Mac, I think Can, that's a really tough one to handle, but I, I, I'm championing your uh, well, optimism. I imagine you don't have uh, to show them in space, right? The whole lightning sequence at the end, and the—I mean, you don't—you don't have to. I will say to that to that effect, I, I think what they should do is do a really um, to bring in another question that we had earlier. Do like a found footage, but do it like carry. Mm. It's like mm. it's like all these teens on their cell phones. It's all like through, you know, Instagram and Facebook and you know, Snapchat and whatever. It's just all compiled together, kind of like uh, Chronicle. Oh yeah, that would be cool. And and and, and you just kind of see it, like the events slowly unfold through different people's experience with Carrie over the course of the day, and and then of course obviously the prom would just be like a shit show of people filming with their phones like the stuff that's happening in the gym i just think that would be really cool and you could because you could do it so quickly over the course of like 30 minutes yeah um you don't have to have the meat of the story you just have to see just have all these little creepy moments you know what i mean yeah no totally randall um yeah i would say well first off can i ask a question why is creep show not doing a stephen king story I don't. Th- I I don't know for sure, but I don't think I've heard anything that's that's come out from it. Um, it seems insane to me that they wouldn't. I know. Like, I mean, what I, is this show? I mean, it, do a I, Stephen King story. <laughs> I mean, I imagine. That, look, if they, I feel like if they did, then 
you know, it, it's going to be like, uh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be survivor type because they got the, you know, to, you know, they got the green light for the first season to do it. So why not just do it for the mm-hmm. second one? Um, well, my answer would yeah. be, uh, actually a, a story that's not been collected though. It was published in a 1990 in the 1998 book, dark visions, uh, the reploids or reploids. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Uh, this is a story I've not read, but I love the idea of it. And I, I think it could actually be fairly cheap to produce uh, for mm-hmm. a thing like creep show, but I'm going to read the plot summary because um, I'm sure some of our listeners I'm sure have read it, but, but others I'm sure have not, but it's a, it's a story idea that really appeals to me. Um, so a mysterious man named Edward Paladin shows up in place of Johnny Carson on the tonight show, but all is not what it seems. A subsequent investigation finds strange items in his possession, hinting that he may not be from our reality. These include passes for the studio, which are the wrong color and a bright blue $1 bill with a picture of James Madison on it, rather than one of George Washington, implying that Madison served as president yeah. instead of Washington and his universe. And that's like, mm. And that's all the plot summary says. Uh, but that, to me, is a really neat idea. Oh. It's uh, fairly modern yeah. and something that I think would be easy to produce, but also super creepy. I mean, it has like a Twilight Zone kind of vibe to that's, it. I but, think uh, Flieger totally, brought that up in yeah. one of the recent episodes, actually. Because that was something Yeah, that, that was that actually what... Yeah, that, that's what, how so. I learned about it. Okay, yeah, because that, 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 that story is really creepy. And I agree. I think that would be awesome and so left field. Jen. I would do... Um, I keep... Thinking like I think the reach would be cool, um, not super scary, but that would be an interesting one, and it would be um, very easy to do. But I think what I would really love to see is Crouch End, which is such a cool Ooh, like Cthulhu yeah. type story, and he's in it like it's so like the they would have to just blow all their budget on the effects in that in one part of it, and I think the rest of it they could do for pretty cheap. But I think it would be really cool because what's cool about that story is just like the mounting dread and the feeling of uneasiness which you can catch capture just like by filming, not with a whole bunch of like crazy effects. Yeah, and hey, I'm Mike. You're not on the Nightmare Dreamscapes episode, right? No, I'm on the best of. So um, I get to talk about uh, <laughs> all the good ones uh, that are on there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm loving it. I mean, it's, I think it's a it's a fun. St- oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're, have you gotten the Crouch End yet? No, not yet. Um, I have. Uh, uh, I, th- I think you'll really like it. Yeah, I think you'll like it. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Nice. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a book that still you could mine so many things out of right now um Mm -hmm. i feel like both i feel like night shift has definitely been obviously the the one that's excavated the most out of all his short story collections but like i still think there's things on there that you could you can get and especially since the stories are so strong i'm always returning that one but even skeleton crew i think has been mined a lot even because i think even grandma was adapted for like a out of limits maybe or i can't remember it was terrible um uh, tales of the dark side oh tales of the dark side that's what it was yeah um well, I'm not going to answer who the directors are for all this stuff because honestly, like, if they can get anyone from the original one and just keep them as the original directors from the you know the original movies, then hey, that's great. You know, get Savini to keep doing it. Get uh, actually, um, I thought they did great with uh, Rob Schraub with uh, the Werewolf uh, chapter in the the first season. Mm-hmm. So if you could yeah. do more of those, I think that would be fucking awesome. But. Um, Mac, why don't you take the next question uh, from uh, Matt Dinges? Well, Matt Dinges writes, as the Losers Club have expanded over the years, would you consider doing episodes on past books featuring losers who who haven't talked about them? An all-female perspective on Carrie would be interesting to hear, for example. 
Well, Matt, we've definitely talked about that before, yeah. um, especially now that we have Patreon and we have a lot of other, you know, uh, just a lot more avenues to bring content to the table uh, for the for the real trolls out there, the real fans <laughs> of. Uh, don't call our fans trolls. Um, no, I'm I'm quoting <laughs> I'm quoting uh, George Romero. He's, he's, he calls the Day of the Dead fans the real trolls. Oh, the, the, the Day cut. of the Dead fans. It's like the one. It's like the real getting the the, the nitty gritty fans. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that that would be an, a great thing to do because I think we have so many new losers that have joined the ranks and missed out on so many classic episodes and i i think it would be and and then just some of the you know the ogs that have, were not on some of those episodes because yeah. we didn't want to have 10 people on one episode know. after the first few well because we already had uh, seven because it, <laughs> so yeah because i know there were some that i had to sit out on that i would that i still read but i wasn't on the episode itself and uh you know the, the, there's a little fomo there so i think that we would definitely do that jen what is an episode uh from early like an old Stephen King book that you wish you could have been on the book episode for? Um, probably The Shining. Yeah. That, I think that's one of my favorite episodes of um, the podcast in general. And I just think the talk about if that book was just so rich. Um, I think it was a really long it's episode, long too, because oh, yeah. it was before you were splitting yeah. up stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I would love to talk about that book. Um, yeah, I feel like this one is a little self-serving answer for me, but I got a lot of thoughts about a lot of the older books that would I would love to share. Um, but yeah, I'd probably be The Shining. I, I honestly cool. think like, I don't cool. think it's out of the question. I think that it's something that it's been kicked around so many times that like, I feel like it's something that will will into existence eventually. Um, and, and also so many of those earlier books are like the quality of the episodes are so like, uh, like low grade just because we were only using one microphone. So it would actually be kind of nice to get a cleaner episode uh, out there that, um, you know, could kind of reevaluate it a little bit more too. So, uh, Randall, what do you, th- what do you think on this? Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's a cool idea. And I mean, I think that one of the benefits of having more people and more voices on the pod these days is that, you know, like with a book like Gerald's Game, we had, uh, you know, primarily female voices on that because that seemed important and for that book. And I think that that was something that, you know, obviously if we had done that book in the early days of the pod, it would have been a bunch of dudes talking about it. So I think that's in which wouldn't have been as rich of a conversation. And so I think that that's sort of one of the benefits of, of having a, a larger crew. And I, yeah, I'm not sure, like, I don't know if we do full like book episode re-recordings, but I think a chance for maybe losers who weren't on the old books to kind Kind of gather and talk about it for as long as they want would be a cool thing to do. I know that there's like certain book yeah. episodes that like I wasn't on that I that I wish I was, which like um, Christine, like I know you guys didn't like it, but that was a book that was really important to me when yeah. I was young. And um, mm-hmm. and that would be I would just love to revisit it, even if I don't like it anymore, uh, because that book was, you know, <laughs> one of my earliest encounters with King and one that I like absolutely love. So. Uh, so, yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like. It's, it's to me like a cool, you know, a cool potential for the future. And I mean, the thing is, we'll probably bring in more people in the yeah. future. Like we're not like set at a certain number. It's more so if we find someone who we think would be a good fit and has a really expansive knowledge and, you know, can can keep up with us in our bullshit rants and <laughs> tangents, then um, yeah. th- I think that's sort of the real test of whether or not you can be in the pod yeah. uh, is if you could like 
you know, drown us out and get your own ideas. And, and, um, so yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a good question and, you know, definitely something we'll be considering. Well, Randall, there's another good question and it's, uh, yeah. from Todd Seibert. Uh, why don't you, uh, yes, take a Todd crack Seibert asks, he says, you can have Stephen King join the podcast for one full episode, but you can only talk to him about one book for the entire episode. Which book would you pick and why? And then he said, mine would be The Talisman because I absolutely hate that book. But it's talked about <laughs> hey, so little. Same. He, he says, it's talked about so little. Uh, not on our podcast. Uh, we did a very <laughs> long episode about yeah. it. Um, and it'd be fascinating to really get into details about which plot points character each writer thought up and who wrote exactly which parts speaking about Um uh, Peter Straub, who he co-wrote that with. So yeah, I think um, I think that's a really good question. Do you guys have any answers that come to mind right away? I I honestly, because I'm so fascinated with uh, the the lore of it, and it's just a personal favorite of mine. Like, I think I would want to talk to him about Pet Cemetery and just like what mm. some of his thoughts were going into it. And and actually, no, I take that back. No, I, I dial back. I would want to talk about The Shining because I want to find out officially what he saw and experienced uh, out in Colorado when he was uh, when he was out in the, um, in the hotel. So mm. I at the Stanley Hotel mm. because he's never really gone on like digressed on it. He said that you know he imagined the hose coming alive, but there's certainly more influences he got from his stay there, and it's always been something that stuck with me uh, enough that I've actually come up with stories in my head about it. So that's something that I would really like. And also mm. just because, I mean, it, it seems like the obvious one in, in to go to, and I'm sure he's exhausted talking about it, but like, I just think there's some really personal things in that, that I would like to kind of, you know, broach, but he'd have to go all in. He can't just go, well, it was a story that I wrote. And, uh, you know, I was at the Stanley hotel <laughs> with my family. I'd be like, all right, no, Steven, we know that, but we got to dig deep. We got to go deep. We got to go deep. And I want to know mm. all about your thoughts on alcoholism. I want to know all your thoughts on like, you know, uh, recovery, all that stuff. And like, I think it would be a fucking killer episode, but that's, that's my two cents. Mm-hmm. Jen, what about you? I, well, I was going to say the shining, um, for all of those reasons, but I think, um, if I had a second choice, I would say Gerald's game. Um, one, because I love that book so much and because there's, there has been like a rumor for a while that Tabitha actually wrote it and, like ghost wrote it and I don't think that's true I want to say for the record I do not think that's true but I would love to hear him talk about how he wrote that because it felt like as a woman reading that book it felt so personal and it felt like he really kind of understood a lot of my thought processes and I would just be curious to know like who he talked to what kind of research he did on it and like how and it's such a unique book and like how he like planned out how that it was all going to work out and there's also the story about like him having owen try to like flip over the back of the bed like with his wrist tied to the post that i would love to hear him talk about too so yeah gerald's game yeah nice well uh oh boy yeah go for it mac road work oh, oh man <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i i mean people might be have been ah, people might be bored with this already but Night shift. Yeah. Because then you can talk about like 20 stories. I know. That's a good one. <laughs> and really, really get the back, the, the you know, I, I just talked to, I just be like, why, why, why haven't people, why, why has no one touched this thing? Yeah. <laughs> it's so insane mm. to me. So many good stories in that. Oof. That mm. would, um, but yeah, for me, it, it would, it would be, it would be night shift probably. 
because I think that is one. I mean, it's the first short story, you know, book that I read of his, and it. But so much of that I love, and anytime anyone asks me, I always recommend it, and I just think I would, I just love to pick his brain about every every single one of those stories and where he was at when he wrote. Oh, them. totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah. Tommy Knockers, and I'm not fucking around. I know. I figured you were going to say lo- that. <laughs> I would love to talk to I you about that. I almost said that, but because it was, it's yeah. it's a sprawling book. He was at sort of the depth of his addiction when he wrote it. That's when he started to get clean. Was after that book. Um, I think that there was probably a lot of turmoil going on. Uh, writing that book, I think, was hell for him. Um, and mm-hmm. so I'd love to hear about sort of how it became this monstrosity, how it began probably as an idea he was really stoked about and how it evolved, what the writing process was like, what it was like being in the throes of addiction at that time and how he's dealt with sort of the response to it. I mean, he calls it terrible, but does he really think it's terrible? Or does he say that because everyone says that, you know, mm-hmm. or does he does he associate sort of the experience of writing it with um, with the quality of the book? And I'd love to know what he actually does like about it and what he doesn't like about it and all of that kind of stuff. I think that that book is rich with for, you know, as troublesome as it, as it is amongst a lot of uh, King fans. I'd love to hear his thoughts about, you know, to really peel back the layers of of what that book means to him in his larger um, career and, you know, what it represents in terms of his journey to sobriety and also, um, you know, I don't know, just it being one of his more baser, nastier books, you know? And also how you would rework really, it, you know? like if you Yeah, how would you back, rework you know? it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I feel think, like there's so many different ways in with that book to talk to him. I think that that, mm-hmm. I think you're also, it's funny, I feel like, you almost uh, answered that from like great job internet because you know that like if that was an episode that would probably be the best book to choose for like here's king's thoughts on something in his own like you know right. career because there's just I, I i do think it would probably wield the the craziest stories out of it um right right because i feel like that's one he hasn't talked about a lot yeah. and uh and like yeah it's like you said mike like he can he can rattle off all the same things about the shining that he tells everyone, but uh, but you would want to dig deeper. And yeah. I guess for me with Tommy Knockers, it's like he hasn't said a ton about it, so I feel like there's so much more terrain to explore. Uh, and the only other one I was gonna say in terms of a book I I still love, but and he has talked about a lot, and there's he's done whole interviews about it. But I'd still I still feel like there's more questions to ask him about the about the stand, you know. So yeah. that's just mm-hmm. me because yeah. I I just I would really love to know what his head was like when he was writing it like i yeah. really want to go back then because he was young he was like his career was rising but this was the, the kind of a make it or break it book in a lot yeah. of ways i think for him so yeah so yeah it'd be interesting to hear him talk about like re-releasing it to like the unabridged yeah. and like what the process of going back to it and like what to put in and what to leave out that would be interesting yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also like what inspired the kid uh, yeah, <laughs> Jen, why don't you? Well, Owen was. Uh... Oh God. <laughs> oh. Anyway, uh, la- last question, uh, Jen, uh, take it away from Laura. All right, from Laura, uh, which character feels the most biographical to each podcast member? I.e., which character is the most relatable or similar to you? Does anyone want to go? Uh, hmm. I mean. This is a tough. I, I like we yeah. should have thought about this a lot longer. <laughs> it's funny because we've. I can answer. You go mine. first. You go first. Um, I would say Beverly Marsh. Um, I love her. Um, I've talked a little bit more, a little bit about this in previous episodes, but I've had some similar issues with my father and with my uh, first husband, and so I felt like a lot of connection with her. 
And I was also kind of a loner growing up and just kind of never really felt like I fit in. And then like you just find your people and it's just like that. I always celebrated like when she was like just playing the yo-yo with Richie and like just hanging with people that like just got her, you know. And so that was something that I always loved about her. And then she grew up to be this like amazing woman who is really powerful and can kind of like take on a lot of things and conquer fears. And I just... I love her. I would like to continue on her path. <laughs> well, there's certainly a character that I align with that I don't think I would want to continue on his path. But for me, man, I, I, I just I feel like I connect a lot with Jack Torrance. And I know that's awful and, <laughs> you know, not a great character to look up to. But there's a lot of, um, you know, I'm bipolar. I, I have a, a lot of um, anger issues at times. But the just ideas of like the, the descent uh, I come from, uh, you know, family of addicts, and uh, and for me, it's it's something that's I'm always having to remind myself of, and uh, just the the sort of internal struggles that I feel King paints with uh, Jack in the book, and uh, you know, even in the movie with Kubrick's version. I, there's something, there's a lot of things that I just weirdly align with. I've, I've, I, there's something comforting about watching him, which is really fucked up to say. Um, and I don't know. So for me, it's it's always it, there's just the Jack Torrance character has always just kind of been both an, an omen um, and uh, sort of uh, this 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 weird parallel that I've kind of tried to shake. But you know, you can't always uh, lose your demons, so you could just kind of stow them away. But uh, uh, I don't want to burn in the Overlook, so <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, would not want to follow his footsteps. But uh, you know, anyway, uh, Mac, what about you? Oh man, this is like really difficult. Um, I mean, I think it's hard to pick just one character. Um, you know, you read these books, and I feel like you connect to a lot of them just in certain aspects or whatever. But I think, I mean, we kind of joked about the whole Ben thing. Like, you know, I, I was not, I did not have Ben's experience, but I feel like as a character, I kind of. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, is there someone that pops to your, to your to mind for you? For you well, for you guys? Similar, because I, I just can't think. Similarly, Mac, I really struggle with this question because I think that as much as I love King's characters, I've never really seen myself in his characters, um, which is okay. I, like, I don't need to see myself in characters. Um, I, like, that's not necessarily a trait I look for when I read, um, although it is nice occasionally. Um, uh, but... I think for me, I it's like you said, I can't say it's one character, but uh, I think the most I probably felt connected to characters was in It. And it's it's not just one kid, it's all the kids. Mm-hmm. And it's also Henry Bowers, yeah. you know? It's like, mm-hmm. it's um, I've, I've talked a lot about the general concept of bullying on this podcast, uh, and... And I think because it's it's for me, I think one of the things I've grappled with in adulthood is uh, is the sort of tension between the times I was a bully and the times that I was bullied. And I because I was both and I've done I've did some really shitty things to like other kids when I was young. And they also did, you know, other than the kids who beat me up, did shitty things to me. And it's sort of this horrible cycle. And it's something I'm fairly passionate about as an adult is just the general concept of bullying and how that manifests within children. And so I think 
think that we get to see that tension a lot in it because Bowers isn't just a straight villain. He is, he's, he's fucking rotten and evil, but we do get a lot of glimpses into the way his mind works and the way his family operates and the way that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, Pennywise sort of warms his way into him. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that's also why I, I get so mad at how poorly as his character as an adult is handled because it feels like kind of a toss off. And so, whereas I'm, I'm like fascinated by who is he as an adult. And um, so, yeah, I think like when I think about care, the most I've related, I think a lot about, um, I think a lot about those characters in it. And, and like I said, it's not just Ben or it's not just Bill yeah. it's uh, or Eddie. Cause like my Everyone. thing is my experience was not similar to uh, Ben's. You know, I when I was a kid, uh, you know, weight wasn't wasn't something that I struggled with when I was a kid. I didn't have like Eddie. I wasn't uh, I didn't always think I was sick or anything like I didn't have a lot of the issues that these kids had. I never had a lisp or anything. And then, um, you know, honestly, and I think this says a lot and this is sort of like a dangerous thing to say. But, you know, when I read Rage when I was in high school, I related to it because I was a kid who was, you know, really out of my element. I never wanted to you know, bring a gun to school, but I understood the rage. You know what I mean? I understood the idea Mm -hmm. that, um, nobody paid attention to me. Nobody gave a shit about me. And I was, you know, and of course when you're that age, you're like, I'm smart and nobody recognizes that I'm smart. You know what I mean? And so, Mm -hmm. so I think like, you know, that's the sad thing is like, that was the character I related to was Mm -hmm. Charlie. And I think that's part of why I hate it because part of me hates those parts of me that related to him from when I was young. And I feel like I've grown out of that as an adult. Um, and you know, but then I guess the other one I would say that, uh, and I've talked about it already on the pod, but the long walk is probably, uh, King's best portrait of young male adolescent or not, you know, like the, teenage yeah. male is and it's really well written in that regard and you do get to see a lot of different shades of um of sort of teenage indecision but also sexuality and um the search for meaning and all of those things i think i related to really hard but um but yeah it's it, so it's to me it's like a complex answer there's not one character i really identify with um but i think part of what i'm saying does feed into why i'm so obsessed with henry bowers yeah so, yeah you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it always come, comes back to Henry. I actually, yep. I, I actually think Ben is fitting uh, for you, Mac. I, I mean, if I had to name characters that have certainly reminded me of my friends, like, I mean, I, I still think like, you know, Ben, Ben, like, is definitely someone that just is like the way he has insight into things and like the his approach to art and like. I don't know, just definitely is always kind of spiritually connected. Like when we were jokingly, you know, tagging ourselves as losers in the, um, in, you know, obviously in it, <laughs> there was, it was no question. It was like, oh yeah, that then easily. Um, but yeah. And I also feel like, you know, to, to Randall's point and what I was kind of getting at, like, you know, it, the, like dairy as a character, like the, the fact that the town, like, I feel like we all grow up in a in a very like well maybe not everybody but I was definitely grow I grew up in a very sheltered kind of you know I had parents that you know kept a lot of things from us mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you know when my mom passed away all of a sudden you know all this dark stuff kind of started filtering through the you know the the net and it was like oh my family's not as perfect as I thought or oh I, my the town in which we live in or, or the, the people that I thought or I went to, these adults actually have, you know, these awful things going on in their lives. And it was kind of like I re- it kind of like slowly realized that, you know, 
everything was kind of sick. Mm-hmm. Not to be <laughs> super pessimistic, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it, 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 I just feel like I was kind of shielded from a lot of that. Um, because I had, I had parents that just didn't want us to, you know, have to come to those realizations too soon. They wanted us to have a childhood, you know, but like at the same time, I feel like when I, when I saw it for the first time, cause I, I saw it before I read it, uh, it just really spoke to me cause it was like, oh yeah, there is this like awful underbelly that kids see and are told all the time that that's, you know, they're told that they're just lying or they're making things up or that, you know, cause, because parents don't want to admit to their kids and to themselves that the world really is like that. And I think that mm-hmm. I, I think that's why I relate so hard to that story yeah. and all of those kids experiences in the book. Yeah. That's well said. Well said. Yeah. Well, we've reached the end. Oh, wait a second. When we haven't, we have one more Ooh. 19. Cause you've all been keeping count. Uh, it's from Luke Willoughby. Willoughby. Wow. That's a, one of my favorite uh, Twilight Zone episodes. Um, very <laughs> tragic one. Uh, he asked simply, when is Justin coming back? Well, Luke, uh, uh, brother of Leia. Um, we, <laughs> I will let you know that Justin, <laughs> like many of the characters in Star Wars, is coming back. But we, it's for a special uh, sweet treat where we're going to be talking about Jason Voorhees and the, the 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 Stephen King vision of what I Jason uh, I think is what he called it uh, could be and, and, and in addition to other things that uh, could we could try to find ways to have a <laughs> a Stephen King version of uh, Friday Thirteenth but uh, it'll be a fun episode uh, a nice swift. Uh, reunion uh, that that will be uh, as, as, as uh, merciless as Jason Voorhees himself. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but you have to look for that uh, coming up ahead. Uh, so um, that's going to be a Patreon exclusive episode. Yeah. So if you are not a Patreon subscriber and you love Justin, um, we if and you want to revisit <laughs> hear him uh, banter with us about Jason Voorhees, um, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Barons. T H E B A R R E N S. Yes. And that's how you can get access to our sweet treats as well as our um, uh, the two episodes a month that are for patreon um uh patrons yeah is that is it it's right? very is it weird yeah i, I yeah, honestly right. when i'm writing these out and i am having to record bumpers and all these other things i'm always like patreon's pa- patron oh jesus fucking christ it's like patreon subscribers <laughs> that sounds right but then they're not really subscribing mm-hmm. per se as much as they are patrons anyway yeah, patreon.com slash the Barons. Lots of fun discussions. Casper Van Dean. Fuck Mary Kill. <laughs> old episodes. I mean, we just dropped an old episode from uh, June of 2018 in which the th- three uh, original losers on this podcast right now were talking about Castle Rock and we had a great Ed Harris moment um, in the beginning. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> so unpredictable content that's always He's on there. He's not a human being. He's not being. a human being. <laughs> God damn it, you wake up! Um, but uh, look, we, we'll be back uh, in two weeks. Was the Abyss? Yeah, it was the Abyss episode. And I, I, only, I only dropped it because we were talking about the Abyss last week and everyone seemed to be crazy about the uh. Abyss. So um, We got a lot of content, though, coming on in this feed. Uh, Randall, what do we got coming up? We, the, the, the next episode that's going to be on this feed is, is Nightmares and Dreamscapes, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that well. is, that's what's coming up. 
So if you haven't cracked that one open yet, you better get on it because it's long. It's very long. And we don't mean the long walk. We just mean a long read. Um. So for Nightmares and Dreamscapes, (laughs) we're going to be doing, um, we're going to be ranking the stories. So the first episode will be, quote unquote, the worst stories, although Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that all of them will be bad. It will just be the bottom 12 on that list. And then the follow up episode, uh, which will be two weeks after that, will be the 12 uh, 12 stories we thought were the best. And we're also going to be digging into the Nightmares and Dreamscapes TV series and um, some of the movie spinoffs, including Dolan's Cadillac and the Night Flyer. And, uh, and then we're also going to be kind of just doing sort of, um, uh, you know, a breakdown of Night Shift, Skeleton Crew and Nightmares and Dreamscapes and talking about, you know, what are the be- what's the best collections? The, the best, the best the stories best the best. Yeah, like the 10 best stories from all of these collections. We're going to be doing that as well. That's going to be a Patreon exclusive. So if you're not a Patreon uh, patron, um, that's the good content that you're missing out on. I know. So. It's, and, you know, we got some surprises and some goodies that are uh, going to be coming up uh, for uh, this summer. <laughs> what a summer we got. You know, we it's were summer. Two there weeks. is no summer. I know there is coronavirus no summer. canceled. It got summer. canceled. Although I've been having some fun times. I've been walking a lot through Chicago and I've actually been thinking when I because I walked really far yesterday. Actually, I actually was uh, around your neighborhood, uh, Randall. Um, Should have said hi. And then I, I wanted to say hi, but I also was worried that you would. Uh, wait, wait, you went all the way out. I to went the west. all the way out west. All the way out west. That was <laughs> out to the boonies. All the way to uh, was it Jerry's wow. Deli? But um, Jerry's Grill. <laughs> But uh, I got home and my, my legs and calves were killing me. And I was like, imagine that was only like a, two hours. Now, imagine if I was the kids in the long walk. I, I think I would last six mm. hours, maybe tw- maybe eight hours. They would gun you down early. I'd be gunned down by Casper oh, Van Dien. Wow. Um, <laughs> that is a reference <laughs> to <laughs> another Patreon episode, but not to plug it too much. Anyway, we got to get out of here. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, please follow us. On our socials, uh, we are pumping out content left and right. Uh, we're doing some King History. Uh, we got some uh, exclusives in the King History. Actually, I believe uh, when we recorded this episode, uh, we had some insight from the showrunner of The Dead Zone because it's the 20th anniversary of The Dead Zone this week. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, we got some insights. Of the TV from, show. Of the TV show, yes. not uh, It wasn't Cronenberg, but it was a showrunner of the TV show. <laughs> um, and then we also had uh, some insights from uh, Cell from our friend Josh Michael. So it was a lot of really kind of fun stuff on our Instagram, right. Facebook, Twitter, uh, always pumping stuff out every day. Um, and that's not the last plug. We got a very cool plug from uh, Jen Adams, who uh, has a, a fun announcement. Yeah. Um, so we are starting a new podcast um, called Psychoanalysis. Um, and we're going to be talking about um, horror movies and mental health, which is something, two things that I'm like super passionate about. Um, and that's going to involve a fellow loser, Laura Unterstall. And uh, Mike Snoonian from Pod and Pendulum, um, and he is a licensed healthcare professional, so he's going to kind of keep us like kind of grounded in the no- the <laughs> research of everything. But yeah, we're gonna um, that's going to be dropping, I think, um, every other Thursday starting in July, and that'll be on Consequence Podcast Network. I'm super excited. The first uh, concept we're going to be talking about is anxiety, which I think is something a lot of us can relate to right now, and we are um, relating that to the movie Let's Scare Jessica to Death, Ooh. and then we're going to move on to, we're this week we're recording an episode on Midsummer, um, so I'm super excited to talk about that, because that's just like so rich with like the mental health. Oh, totally. Um, content so yeah look for that um i'm really excited about it i think it's going to be really cool and um something i think a lot of people can relate to right now well i've heard some of the promos and also the credits in the beginning it's uh, a lot of fun uh look it's 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 part of the (laughs) it's part of our horror brand that we got and uh excited to expand this family um but uh you know 
you'll get there uh, sometime in July. Uh, July, mm-hmm. I guess we could announce the date. We might as well. Uh, July, yeah. July 9th. Um, July 9th. That's yeah. right. So yeah. uh, add 10 more yeah. and you get 19. So uh, hey, that's, uh, <laughs> that's only so many days after my birthday. Yeah. Oh, really? You got your really? birthday. Max got his birthday coming up. So, so and, our, uh, our <laughs> we're all going to celebrate by going to see Ghostbusters Afterlife. I forgot. No, it's delayed. Oh, oh. no. Mm. I've actually got a tr- special treat for you on my birthday, Mike. I actually oh, really? filmed my version of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, my God. <laughs> only to you. <laughs> I hope I hope it features Finn Wolfhard over Zoom uh, doing his own. Oh, Finn's, Finn's definitely in it. Finn is, I can say that. Uh Legally, Finn has joined the cast nice. of Max nice. uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Max Ghostbusters <laughs> Afterlife. I love it. Uh, well, <laughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife will be in theaters in March 2021, and we will be back with new episodes in two weeks on this feed and uh, obviously some episodes on our on our Patreon that we plugged earlier. But, hey, we got to get going. Uh, and shall we, shall we sign off? Uh, yeah. Long All right. days. Days. Lays. And pleasant, <laughs> and pleasant <laughs> nights. 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 Consequence Podcast Network.